We're so glad to have you in worship with us this morning. My name is Alex Barron, I'm the, the lead pastor, and uh, we are in our final week of this series called The Invitation. And if you look at that image, hopefully that explains a lot of what we're talking about. And uh, we're talking about prayer. And the invitation is an invitation that's been given to us by God. And uh, he invites us to relate to him, to communicate with him, to talk to him. And uh, sometimes uh, we don't take him up on that invitation. Prayer can be something that we don't know how to do, uh, or it could be something that maybe we learn but we don't practice. Uh, there can be confusion. There could be this maybe even a barrier, like we're not sure he hears us, he sees us. And there could be kind of just this discrepancy from this invitation that we've been given, but then the lack of response on our part. And so this series is all about how do we actually pray in a way that invites God in as well into what we're facing. And prayer is simply uh, communicating with God. It's where we come before him at various moments in life and just recognize that he's there. He's uh, willing and able to help us. He hears us. He sees. And it's this really mind-blowing process that the amazing almighty God actually wants to communicate and help us. And if you think about that, it actually brings hope to the, the power of prayer, like I can actually exercise something freely that I've been given. And that's a chance to communicate with God. And so we've been digging into uh, the Lord's Prayer. Alex Stewart uh, talked to us last week about the first part of the Lord's Prayer, uh, recognizing God on the throne, his kingdom come. Uh, we talked about petition and inviting God into what we face and our needs. And then uh, today, I'm going to focus on the last part of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, what I want to do as we get started is just read it again uh, together. And uh, if you grew up in the church, whether you went to a Protestant or Catholic church, you may have started this at a very young age. And even by reading this together, you might have a certain cadence and a certain to our Father who are in heaven. Like you might, it comes back. But I want to do this because this is, this is God's word. And so let's read that together. I'll count to three and let's read it out. One, two, three. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Many people call this the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I had a New Testament professor in college that actually talked about this as the disciples' prayer. It was something that was given to us as a model. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a disciple of Christ, you want to learn from him, you want to live life his way. And this is a model prayer uh, for us. And uh, we focused so far on the first part, but today I'm going to focus on verses 12 and 13. And so if you see that on the next screen, this idea of forgiveness and debt, and then leading away from temptation, deliverance from evil. Now, if you go back to the, the previous screen there of the whole scripture, it's very interesting, and I liked what Alex Stewart talked about last week. The Lord's Prayer is not meant to be this just word for word. You have to say it exactly like this. And uh, Alex talked about uh, jazz, how it's this thematic guide where we can uh, improv, where we can take all that we're facing and we communicate to God about that. But if you look at these, this whole scripture, uh, 6 through uh, 13, you'll see that there's actually uh, some major themes which all of us and the world really longs for. The first is justice, the idea of your kingdom come. You represent justice, you represent righteousness, you represent what's right in this broken and wrong world. Is our world crying out for justice? Absolutely. People long for justice. They long for it on a global scale. They long for it in their own household. They long for it in their life. Things are broken. Things don't seem right. And so the Lord's Prayer is this major theme of justice. There's also this prayer of, of provision. And you come before God and you say, God, I just, I need your help. Uh, give us, you know, our daily bread. I need just this thing. I need you to come through. And so not only do people think about justice and the impact of that on their life, but people are just longing for being provided for, being taken care of. Many times people are anxious over what they see as just a lack of care, a lack of concern, a lack of provision. The third theme is a theme of forgiveness, and that's what we're going to focus on today. But the idea of like sin and brokenness really taint everything that we experience in this life, if you think about it. Think of what is burdensome on you, what you worry about, what you stew over, what you mull over. If you go back and you trace it most of the time, it's just right there. It's linked to sin, the problems that exist, the brokenness of our world. And then finally, there's this cry out in this prayer of, of deliverance. 
And oftentimes we pray for deliverance because of the lack of justice, because we want provision that we don't have, or we're overwhelmed with sin. And all of these, the reason I bring this up, this actually represents the longings of the world. It represents the longings of the human heart, the long for justice, provision, forgiveness, and deliverance. This is important to note because Christ is saying in his model prayer for us, everything that you long for, because I made you, you're made in the image of God. Everything that you long for that you hope would be made right, prayer enters you in to the God who can provide those things. You don't have to search and chase for these things. This is why you're to pray this on a continual basis throughout the day. And verse 12 and 13, if you go back to that, this is what I'm going to focus on uh, today. Now, the reason this is important is that this, this idea of uh, deliverance and protection is because sin is real. And today's title is called uh, The Middle of the Mess. And life is messy. Would you agree with that? Life is messy. It's complicated. Um, your life probably has its own mess. You look at the things that you're trying to face and deal with, and it seems like things are unraveling just within you. Uh, you have maybe an angst about your life. And then if you just extend that even to your family under your roof, you see the same angst. You can see the same problems and the same unraveling. And then you look throughout the world and you see like the, the impact of sin and darkness on our world. There, there's no escaping it. And so part of prayer is recognizing what's sometimes just beneath the surface is there's a darkness that's just plaguing us, that's overwhelming us, that's burdening us. And when we come to God in prayer, we recognize that this darkness is real and it's messy. Life is complicated. The older I get, it seems like the more complicated it is. And so the invitation to pray, to come to the living God who hears us, is the recognition that you can bring him into your mess, into everything that you're facing. Our world is broken. Sin is real. It causes war, there's pain, there's gossip, relationships get strained, there's guilt, there's shame. All of these things impact us, and we need God's help. And so this second part of this prayer that the Lord models to us is this invitation to invite God into the mess that we face. And it begins with this, forgive us our debts. Now, you may have uh, heard that when you first learned in maybe a different translation of the Bible, forgive us our trespasses. Same idea, same, same meaning. The, the, the debt, the, the trespass uh, implies sin. It means that there's something that's been done that we now have a debt or a burden. And that is actually the cost of sin. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death. It's a spiritual death. It's a separation from God. It's a physical death. Life ends. And that's the picture of, of darkness, this, this separation. And so when we ask for forgiveness, we, rec we recognize the fact that there's this debt, there's this trespass, there's this sin that all of us uh, deal with. But I'm not acting like my life is all put together. I'm not acting like sin isn't real. I'm not acting like I don't struggle. I'm not, I, I come to God and I invite him into the mess. And that's this overarching point. Is when I confess, that's really what prayer is. When I confess, I invite God into my mess. When I confess, I invite God into my mess. That's what prayer is. It's not having to clean yourself up before you come to God. It's recognizing that things are messed up and you need God. That is the Christian life. I humbly come with all of the things that are unraveling and I ask God for help. At the core of prayer is a cry out for help. We, we must never uh, forget that. What I'd like you to do is just think of your past week. How many of you would say, this past week I, I considered just, all right, and experienced some, some problems, some things that causes anxiety. I had fear. Anyone this week, like you've experienced some of those things, like problems, chaos, conflict. Anyone got in a fight this week? We're just getting it all out there in the open, right? Uh, there's not usually a week that goes by that those things aren't real. Again, what we don't realize is the impact of sin uh, really consumes major parts of our day. Oftentimes, we don't realize that because we're dealing with the effects of sin, not the sin itself. We're dealing with guilt, or we're dealing with shame, 
We're dealing with anger. We're dealing with frustration. We're dealing with bitterness. We're dealing with the the effects or the fruit of sin, sometimes not the the sin itself. And we don't realize how that that has this ripple effect on our life, on on our mind uh, specifically. And so Jesus, he, he offers us relief. He offers us help in the middle of that mess. Um, I want to just highlight some things of what Jesus is talking about when he talks about this uh, f- forgiveness. Uh, these are maybe just four themes here. The first is that uh, sin makes men guilty and it brings judgment. That's the debt. We're guilty of sin. We've done wrong. It could be internal, something that we thought. It could be external, something that we've said, something that we've done. Both are sin. Both cause us to experience that guilt and the judgment. Because again, the wages of that sin is the judgment of death. Now, if we were to just pray with this only in mind, how sober and dark would our prayers be? Because all we would be coming to God is just, yes, I'm guilty again, God, and I deserve your judgment. Yes, I'm guilty, God, and I deserve your judgment. Not many of us would be motivated to pray. But the second principle is also true. Forgiveness is offered by God on the ground of Christ's death. Christ, when he died on the cross, substituted the judgment of death, which we all deserved, and he died in our place. So when we come, we know that one is true, we're guilty and we deserve judgment, but two is also what God did to take the initiative and why we can pray to him because Christ has given me forgiven, has given me forgiveness based on what he did on the cross. And then number three, confessing sin is necessary to receive the available forgiveness from God. I'll talk about that in a moment. And then number four, forgiving one another is essential if we are to be forgiven. That's interesting because salvation is by faith alone through grace that Christ has given us. But there's this correlation here of the forgiven life that we experience from God and the forgiveness that we extend to others. Christ talks about this in this prayer, and I want to talk about that in a moment. But first, let's just talk briefly about this idea of forgive me my debts. That's the confession of sin. And I just want to encourage all of you, uh, you don't have to come to this special feeling or this special place or this special time before you confess your sin. At the moment you realize you have sinned, confess it to God. I have people in my life that, speaking of this debt of sin, and like an account, like keep a short account. If you realize that you're in debt because of what you've done, you've messed up, you confess that to God. You know that you're not in debt continually because you've been forgiven once and for all for your sin. But the idea of forgiveness is the effect of sin still tarnishes us. It still messes with us. It still brings us down. And so the confession, when you realize that you have sinned, something that you've thought, something that you've said, something that you've done, just bring it to God at the moment that you realize. Now, if you're like me, sometimes maybe God brings something up. And has God ever brought something up to you that you did was wrong and you kind of entered the courtroom with God? And you're like, your honor, I need to present my case. You ever done this? Exhibit A, I was tired. Exhibit B, I was hungry. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. We got hangry people, Right? But there's times when we are convicted of a sin and we have to kind of process, like, I don't know if that really was wrong, God. I don't know. It really? And sometimes we don't know. Is this, is this me? Is this false guilt? Is this? Oftentimes what happens is God will be very specific with something that you've done. Again, we've talked about in church. If it's very general and there's a vague sense, oftentimes the enemy uses generalities. Vague. God, through the Holy Spirit, is very specific. You did this and it was wrong. At the moment that you realize that that was wrong. Confession is agreeing. So you might have to wrestle a little bit. One of the things you want to pray every day is, God, help my heart to be soft so I can hear when you talk to me and I can agree with what you say. And so at the moment that you realize that you have done wrong, you confess that. And you're forgiven. The penalty has been paid by Jesus. If you're not yet a Christian, one of the greatest decisions that you can make, really the greatest decision is for you to invite Jesus to lead your life. Because what it is, is without Christ, you are carrying the debt and the weight of your sin. And you cannot bear it. But it's when you invite Jesus to lead you and you receive the forgiveness once and for all, when you receive his grace that he freely gives, 
not because of what you've done, but because of who he is, the weight is lifted. And so Christians need to be people who continually confess. And we don't have to justify ourselves. We don't have to make excuses. God knows what we've done. He knows everything about us. And so prayer is actually this freeing process. We were just agreeing with God. Yeah, God, I messed up. Will you forgive me? And then if you've done something wrong against somebody else, we have the hard attitudes here at Ridgeview, clear up relationships. If I've sinned against you, I need to make that right as well. And so confession is confessing to God. I messed up. I sinned. Will you forgive me? And then you confess to someone else. You know what I said to you is wrong. Will you forgive me? This is what we practice when we have our communion, our Lord's Supper. We take that literally. We want to make sure God shines a light into our relationships. If there's anything broken, if there's anything that's messed up, Lord, will you clean it up in your name? This is serious to a community of faith to experience unity because sin tarnishes everything. So when we pray, we just ask God, show us uh, sin that we've done. And for me, oftentimes, um, I just come to a place where God, forgive me for my worry. When was the last time you recognized your worry is going down this path and you're worrying and worrying and worrying? worrying. It's hard to say worry numerous times, by the way. But you get to point, so, so many times we just are mulling in our anxieties that we don't realize like that could actually be sin. Because the scriptures say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Through what? Prayer. At the moment that you have that anxious thought, that's the invitation to invite God in to your anxiety, to pray to him, to ask him for help. And so oftentimes, God, forgive me for, for that worry and that anxious thought and situation that I'm just mulling over. God, will you forgive me? Uh, for that false thought? Will you forgive me for that lie that I believed? Will you forgive me for that lie that I said? Will you forgive me for my attitude? Will you forgive me for what I said to my wife? Will you forgive me for what I said to my kids? Uh, Will you forgive me for being confident in myself and not in you? Will you forgive me for just that feeling of guilt and shame that I continue to battle with that I just think I have to keep paying for. And again and again and again and so on and so on and so on. That's the prayer life. The moment you recognize the sin, you have a short account and you confess it. You agree it was wrong. Most people in our world are chained up by sin. And the reason is, is because they've not experienced the power of prayer and confession. I don't know how many times in my life where I'm just messed up internally and I come to to God in prayer and I ask him for help and I ask him for forgiveness and I'm reminded of who I am and I have a new confidence and a new hope in him. That's a beautiful thing that prayer brings us into. The second part of the scripture, you'll see it as we have also forgiven our debtors. Actually, go back to that screen if you could. So forgiveness, um, things that I've done wrong, against God, things that I've done against others, I confess that to God and then I make it right with others. But then notice Jesus' emphasis as we also have what forgiven our debtors. Now this is very interesting. This is people who have sinned against us. So there's this connection. God, I've sinned, I've messed up, I invite you into my mess, will you forgive me? But then Lord, as people have sinned against me and I'm in the mess of their decisions and in the mess of their sin, Will you help me to forgive them as well? This is the power of the Christian life. We live as people who've received forgiveness. We've been changed by forgiveness. And then we extend that forgiveness for others. Christianity is all about receiving first and then giving later. Receiving and extending. Receiving and extending. And so this prayer, as we've also forgiven our debtors, is really a prayer of an investigation. This means, is there somebody who sinned against me? that I need to forgive. Sometimes we can't forgive because we don't even know that we're holding that against somebody. We don't even know that, that we have that bitterness or that grudge and we're just kind of holding on to it and sometimes it's in the darkness of our own heart. And it's just, just ruminating inside of us. And so this is a continual prayer. God, will you shine a light on my attitude? Will you shine a light on my bitterness, will you, will you show me if there's anything I'm holding against anyone? As you're gracious with me, may I be gracious with others. God, as you're patient with me, help me to be patient with this person. As I've received, I, I want to extend. So forgiving others and, and asking for forgiveness is a daily pursuit. Now, 
What's very interesting, this isn't actually in the Lord's Prayer, but Jesus goes on to explain the importance of forgiveness in verses 14 and 15. And this is what it says. It says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Here, Jesus is actually defining what a true Christian is. Now, it's conditional, but in the same way, salvation is free, so there's this tension. Well, really what Jesus is saying is if you want to know if you're truly a Christian, one of the key indicators is are you giving forgiveness to others? Because it's only when you have been forgiven and you've been saved by the grace of Almighty God and you recognize the blood that was shed on your behalf to wash over your sin, that's the point in which you can extend that forgiveness. So it's this idea of like you are a Christian truly experience the forgiveness of God as you begin to forgive others. But there's a tension there. Again, it's not you have to forgive at this certain point or you're, you're not a Christian. It's really saying this is the fruit of the Christian life. Receiving forgiveness and extending it are, are intertwined. And the idea is at that point that we no longer forgive others, we should take a step back and say, is this real to me? Is this salvation and the forgiveness that I've received from Almighty God, is this real? Because you get to a point where how could I withhold something that was freely given to me? How could I make conditions on that for others? And unforgiveness really oftentimes is rooted in the fact that we want that person's blood. We want them to pay. And that's why it's so important to know the Christian faith is about the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. We don't want anyone else's blood because his blood has already been given. The penalty has been paid full for us and for others. In my own life, I had to deal with this. Uh, my parents are here right here, Tim and Rosemary Janzik. guys wave right here. Thank you. Um, I'm here because of them and their investment in me. But I, I come from a, a broken family. My biological dad and my mom got divorced when I was four. My mom remarried when I was five. And my dad is my, my stepdad, but has really acted like what I would call my real dad. I don't know if you guys are, if any of you are from like broken families, you have your real dad. People that have played the role of dad, that could look different for different people. Um, but when I was about 16, I realized that I had some kind of unforgiveness with my biological father. It wasn't so much ill will. It was just a lot of questions, questions that even to this day aren't answered. If you've come from a broken family or from situations which are really hard related to other people and their sin, oftentimes you get to a position where you ask the question, why? Why did they do that? You ever ask that for something that's happened to you? Why did that happen to me? Why did this person do that? What were they thinking? And you begin to chase all of the scenarios in which why it made sense to different people. But the issue is with sin is we do things because it makes sense, but oftentimes we just don't know the answers why. And at the age of 16, I realized like I just kind of had this little piece of my life where I was clinging on to the reasons and trying to explain it, but I hadn't really let it go. And I was at a retreat when I was in youth group, and a, the speaker just talked about unforgiveness as this rock that's in your shoe. You ever had a rock in your shoe? just a little one, it's terrible. Just a little bit of a rock. It could just be one little rock and you, know, you get that kind of on your, your heel and it just gives you that pain. And you ever do, you know, you're not, gonna op you're not gonna get it out, but I'm just gonna tap it towards the toes. It's not as bad at the toes. And then you think you solve it and you walk some more and it's still there. And then maybe you empty it out and you got all the rocks out and then a little bit later, there's still a rock in there. This is more about my shoe problems than you needed to know. But the principle really hit me because I realized with this relationship with my biological father, I was living with just wanting some answers that I didn't have, and I hadn't fully released him from giving me those answers. What it was is I, I really hadn't released him from him owing me something. And at that moment, it was just, I was just walking with a rock in my shoe, and I wasn't able to move on. 
And so this, this speaker talked about you, you have to get to this point in forgiveness where you take the rock of bitterness out. You take the, the rock of whatever it is you're holding against that person and you have to release them. Because ultimately, when you don't forgive, it impacts your own journey. It slows your progress. And I'm so thankful when I was 16 that God brought me to that point where I realized I was just holding on to something, just a little bit. And I was able to forgive him fully and release him from any answer. Uh, Since that time, I may have spoken to my father maybe two times. I've never gotten the answers. But I don't need the answers. Because I've received forgiveness. My dad has received forgiveness. The debt has been paid. And when you come in prayer, you recognize that that is part of the messiness when you've been hurt. But forgiveness is not based on the feelings that we have about a situation. And so when you forgive, you're not saying that it didn't hurt me. You're not saying that you don't have to be angry at sin. Christ was angry at sin. And for centuries, people have been hurt by others. So sometimes Christians get into this realm where they think, well, unless I just feel great about this situation or I don't feel uh, just that anxiety or that pain, I haven't forgiven. Well, no, there, there's really two prongs to forgiveness. I, I want you to hear this. The first is you make a decision to forgive. That's what Christ is saying. Forgive us, our debtors. Forgive those who've sinned against me. Release them. You make a decision to release them from having to pay. You're saying the blood of Christ is the only blood I need. I don't need their blood. They don't need to pay anymore. You make a decision before God. You release them. And then the second part of forgiveness could take the rest of your life to battle. And that is the emotional pain that you experience. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. That's actually not a biblical concept. Because there's some of us, because of what's been done to you, you may never forget that, but it doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven them. What it means is, as it comes up and I want to replay that scenario and I want their blood and I'm discouraged and I'm angry and I'm bitter, you come to God in prayer. And so all of our prayer life should continually be growing, if you think about it. Because the more that we sin and the more that we have problems with people, the more we should be praying. But oftentimes, it's the opposite. The more we sin, the more we have problems with people, the more removed from prayer we are. And so what Christ is saying, you have to get proactive in your prayer, where you're bringing God in, sometimes before the chaos has erupted. And you ask him for help in the moment so you don't go down the wrong path. And so if, you're, if you've been hurt and you're struggling with that, It's okay to struggle with hurt and pain. It doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven. But at that moment where you're rehearsing the pain and you're mulling that and you're stewing on it and you're bitter about it and you're discouraged, what begins to happen is that payment you want from them. And The church exists to actually help you. If you get to a point where you're stuck and you're like, you're trying to forgive and you can't let go of that, that's why we exist. We wanna help you be freed, not because of what we can do, but because we stand on the almighty blood of Jesus Christ, whose blood was shed on our behalf. And so it's okay if you're struggling and battling with this. That is the Christian life. But we've been given the tools to release people and that's through Christ and, and him alone. I want to just highlight some things that Christ says on this. Uh, This list is helpful reminder for me. Like the idea of of forgiveness, what does it mean? Now this list, this is what I would call like not a fun list. This is a hard list. But this is Christ's in the gospels, his repeated action for how we're supposed to be forgiving and treating our enemies, those who've done wrong to us. Uh, Here's the first one. Uh, We should resist revenge. That's like, okay, I'm going to get you back. Now, we learn this at a really young age. If you think about sin and revenge and people doing wrong, we can remember things that people did to us in preschool. And if they hit you in preschool, what do you do? You hit 
them back. Because revenge is hardwired. You, you made me pay, I'm gonna make you pay. But the Christian life frees us from that. We, we don't get into revenge. Number two, uh, we don't return evil for evil. And you'll see scriptures on here. Uh, this isn't in your handout, but you could probably take a picture at the end. There's seven. Uh, third is, is wishing them well. Oh, that, that's hard. Number four, grieving at, uh, grieving at their calamities. So when, when bad happens, uh, you don't rejoice. Has anything bad happened to somebody that you don't like and you just like? <laughs> you ever done that? Oh, that, that's also hard. There's a part of us like, oh, goes around, comes around. You know, that's what our culture says. That feels good. You, you actually, that's not the Christian way. We don't want to grieve at their calamities. Why? Because calamities will strike us. And we don't want people grieving at ours either. Uh, pray for their welfare. Seeking reconciliation so far as it depends on you. And then coming to their aid in distress. This is not the easy road. This is doesn't even make sense because this represents, again, the justice of God, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is his way. And so we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. This is getting in line with, I wanna treat and relate to people as you've said. So that's the first, forgive us our debts. The second part, deliver us uh, from evil. And this is verse 13. It says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is what's really interesting. Here's another tension point. When he says lead us, who's he talking about? Okay, God. So is God leading us into temptation? We're asking him to, no, God, I don't want to go there. This brings up a tension point. Well, first, temptation is an interesting word. It could also be testing or trial. And really, the picture is, God, help me not to get in situations where I am going to sin against you. So give me the the relief from this, God. Save me from these situations where I'm going to go down the path I shouldn't go down. That's really some of this connotation. But what's interesting is, is God never tempts us. He never tempts us. James 1, I think it's up here on the screen. You could put that up there for me says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself, what does it say? Tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own what? Desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So there's a prayer, actually. It's not that God is leading us into temptation. And what's interesting, we're also not praying if it's translated a trial, we're also really not praying that God will lead us out of trial because another part in James says, consider it joy when you face trials. Do you ever read the scripture? You're like, what on earth is Jesus saying? It's okay to wrestle with God's word because sometimes it seems contradictory. But this James passage is really describing, lead us not into temptation is, God, do not allow my heart to take me down the path where it wants to go. That is, I'm continually going in the wrong direction. God, will you save me from myself? Um, I want to invite Cameron and, um, are you having help? Yeah, Karen. We're going to do a little musical. uh, This isn't quite jazz, Alex, but... um, we're going to do a little musical number. I say that like we're going to be singing and dancing up here. It's, it's actually not that, or that would be fun. But um, I want to just sing a song together, and it's called Come Thou Fount. And this came to me this past week as I was just chewing on this passage. And um, the words are up here. And this is an old hymn. Some of you may, may have heard it. We actually played this before our wedding. It's one of my favorites. But it summarizes what Jesus is praying. Uh, It says, oh, to grace, how great a debtor. So I'm faced with grace, but I'm such a great sinner. The debt, again, that's the sin. Daily, I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now like a fetter. The idea is like tie me, uh, keep me, like where I should be, right? Like fetter, hold me in that. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Now this part, this is Matthew 6, 13. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave, 
the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. This part right here, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. That's the path that we are continually on to go against the way of the Lord Jesus. So let's sing this together. As I was just thinking about, and I, I was listening to this song throughout the week, I just kept coming to this realization of prayer is just this recognition and this admission to God, like, Lord, I'm always capable of getting off track. One of the things that I think we're misled by in the Christian life is like you decide to follow Jesus and the, the path is just always straight and there's no obstacles. Sometimes it's the opposite. It's like we don't even know where the path is going. Lord, where are you? We can't get past the sin. It just is like, God, I, I can't do it. I, I can't fix myself. And we just seem so just discouraged by sometimes our lack of progress. Prayer is the invitation to invite God in to our struggles. We don't have to hide. We don't have to act like we are further down the path than we are. We don't have to act like everything's great when it's not. We don't have to act like we have it all together when things are unraveling. It's this plead, God, prone to wonder. I just want to get off track. I want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to think the right thought. I want to think the wrong thought. But what I want to encourage you is prayer is really the invitation to bring God in at the moment that you feel that. Most of us in the Christian life are trained to just come to God pleading for grace because we've sinned. But prayer is an invitation to come to God before you've sinned to ask him for help. God, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to go down that path. I don't want to hold that person hostage for what they've done. But Lord, prone to wonder, deliver me from my own heart. Deliver me from the inclination to continually go off track. This is a prayer of humility where we just pray, God, I need your help. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said this to his disciples. Think about this. The night that he was betrayed, he asked the disciples, please pray for me. And he said this, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's where we find ourselves in prayer. Many times our intentions and what we wanted to happen, the opposite has happened. We're not where we wish we were. We're not at that moment that we thought we would be. I feel like we're just in the rubble of life. And so it's just a prayer. God, help me to not get off track today. Lord, I, I have an inclination to sin, but I don't want to. Will you help me? That's the first part of deliver us from ourselves. The second is deliver us from the enemy. And I, I don't have a ton of time, but there is a spiritual enemy. He's called Satan or the devil. He's the liar and he's real. And he has legions of demons that want to lead the world astray. They want to come against Christians. They want to oppress. 
They want to kill. They want to destroy. And when you're a Christian, you get a target on you. When you're not a Christian, you're just in the dungeons. You're not a threat. You're chained up. But as soon as you've been delivered by the power and the blood of Christ, the chains have been broken, and now you're free. And you're an ambassador of light in a broken world. And the enemy wants nothing more than to take you out. And there's things that you're facing right now which are just direct assaults of the enemy. And one of the things you have to do is to identify the attacks. Uh, for me, many attacks of the enemy are not from me. They're, they're, they're from him. Um, many times without even realizing it. One of the major themes he works in is, is some of these. And th- this is in my own life. They could be different for you. But I, I give you these categories so you can recognize a lot of times the enemy is at work. Uh, first, the enemy oftentimes is at work if out of nothing, you just seem like you're just getting this intense feeling of discouragement. Just this darkness is over you. Many times the enemy works to discourage first. Because if he discourages you, what that means is you lose courage, you lose hope, and you begin to kind of question God. You begin to kind of move away. And so the enemy oftentimes, discouragement is a key tool to get us off track. Another one is, is just bitterness. Maybe you've forgiven somebody. We've talked about that today, but it kind of comes back up. What the enemy does is he wants to bring that back up. How could they do that to you? What were they thinking? They don't love you. And he's speaking lies to you. But if you've forgiven them and you've let it go, you have to claim that in the name of Jesus. So you just you say that, I've forgiven that person in the name of Jesus. They are forgiven. I will not hold on to this bitterness in the name of Jesus. And you battle and you fight. Worry, anxiety, fears. If you just begin to worry about the unknown, the enemy get, wants to get you there. Focused on the future, focused on the things that you don't know, prevents you from being able to focus on the things that you have in your life right now. So you don't want to mull and process worries and anxieties. You actually need to confess them. Arrogance, the moment that you think you have it all together, watch out. The scriptures say that. Be careful. Because as soon as you think you're standing, you will fall. So when you're like looking around like, man, I think I've got it all together. Like things are coming together. Be very careful. Discouragement, bitterness, worry, anxiety, fear, arrogance, and then anger. You just seem like you're just so mad at people. You just, they're bothering you, and you just, this anger's welling up. Like oftentimes the enemy's just fueling that. So you just pray against that anger when it comes to frustration. God, I'm very angry at this person. You forgive them, and you hand that over to God. I don't want to stew in this anger. These are just some of those themes that the enemy uses to lead us astray. The reason I bring this up is oftentimes it's not going to be like you start your car and you're going to see this like devil walking through with a pitchfork. I don't know if that's how he would walk, but you're not going to see it. Oftentimes you're going to feel it. It may be within you like there's this feeling and it may be emotional and it may feel like I should own this because it's my feelings, unless it's not. And so you don't want to own feelings that are not true. So any false feeling that you have, if it's not based on truth, you reject it in the name of Jesus. This is real. This is real stuff. We have to fight. And this is the prayer. God, deliver me from the evil one, from his attacks. Pray for your families on a daily basis. Pray for your marriages. Pray for your kids. Pray against the enemy's onslaught in your life. And that's why it's so important. You have to keep coming to the word of God. You pray that you've got your sword, the sword of the spirit, the truth, so you can fight. And that's the Christian life. You fight against the falsehood of the enemy with the truth of scripture, and you claim it through prayer. It's a battle. But the way that we grow in prayer is that we confess and we forgive. We admit are prone to wonder We ask for deliverance. And really, we should be growing because we keep sinning, right? So if we keep sinning, we should keep praying. And people keep sinning against us, right? So if they keep doing that, we have to keep praying because we have to keep forgiving. And we know our hearts will continue to kind of go the wrong path, so we have to keep praying. God, prone to wonder, I don't want to go that way anymore. Deliver us from myself, from the evil one. Pray for protection. For me, 
uh, this past year, I've really just asked God to help my prayer life grow. Prayer's been a struggle for me throughout the years. And I think one of the main reasons is, is it was kind of a transactional. Like I do this, and then I pray, and I don't do this, and then I pray. But, but really, the idea of the invitation has really helped my perspective. I'm inviting God into what I'm facing. And I don't want to spend too much of my life without inviting him in and asking him uh, for help. I like this quote from Martin Luther speaking of the assaults of the enemy, assaults of the enemy. It says, we cannot help being exposed to the assaults, but we pray that we may not fall and perish under them. And in the Lord Jesus is deliverance. There's nothing that you face that will not escape the power and grace of God. No matter what you've done or what others have done to you, there is hope. That's why we gather continually on Sundays. That's why we're in groups together. That's why we sing praises to God. It's to remind us of the truth that we have. It's never too late. The blood of Jesus will wash us and clean us and make us whole. So I invite you to keep praying, to keep battling in your own life. And my prayer for our church is that God would grow us as a church as we face things, as we see the assaults from our own desires, as we see the the assaults from the world and from the enemy, as we see just sin, like we'll, we'll take it seriously, but we will continually come and extend forgiveness to each other in a short account with God and receive forgiveness for our sins. As we do this, as we grow in that humility and asking God for help, God will just continue to unify our body that we find in this church. So let me kind of wrap up, shift gears, give you some next steps. Uh, If this Lord's Prayer is actually real and literal, then there's some things that we can do specific to what I've talked about today. And so I want to just walk through these. These are just some things for you to think about. The first is ask God to show you any unconfessed sin. So this is the invitation where we invite God. This is part of that shining the light. So this is a prayer, God, shine your light on my heart. Is there any unconfessed sin? So the question is, does God hear you? And would he answer you? That's a good question I'm all on. Does he hear and will he answer? Because if there is unconfessed sin, maybe you don't even know about. I know many times in my life when I've prayed this and I've wrestled with God, God, will you just show me? You show me. It's amazing how he will. And sometimes it can come up from just something I read in his word. Something it just he convicts me about in my spirit. Sometimes a situation comes that he brings up with other people. All of those are used in different times. But if you can get to the point where God is speaking to you about things that you've not confessed, you're going to make progress. He's shining his light on your heart. Second, ask God to show you someone you need to forgive. Are you walking with rocks in your shoes? Are you holding on to any bitterness or a grudge? And then three, work through the prayer guide this month. Uh, The prayer guide is in your program. This is just an extra handout. It looks like this. We wanted just to highlight the themes that we've covered in the Lord's Prayer. And you can see this. This is a guide. But here's the thing. Don't use this and just read it like an academic paper and not pray. It's not a resource to prevent you from praying. It's a resource to help you with praying. So, It talks about praise, like this is the tuning into God's step. And so you just want to start prayer, like, God, I just praise you for who you are, and then think about who God is. What are some of the attributes of who God is in your own life? What have you experienced? It's not rhetorical. You can say it. He's love. Say it again. What else? Blesses. He's forgiving. So, you you know, part of the prayer is, God, thank you for your love for loving me. God, thank you for the blessings that you've given. God, thank you that you've forgiven me. So you see, like, read the principle, the idea, and then pray that. That's what prayer is. And then finally, I want to invite you to come back next week. We're going to kick off our Christmas series. It's called Painting a Bright Future. And it really is kind of taking uh, where we've been in this series and just going to, like, the hope that we have in Christ We can pray to God because of Christ 
And now we can connect to God through what Christ has done. And this series is all about the bright future that we have as Christ followers. I think there's many people in our community right now who are longing for a bright future. Would you agree with that? Yeah. That's what we're going to be talking about. So we're going to spend some few weeks talking about how Jesus has given us this bright future. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the light of the world. And so it's going to kind of all build together. But I just want you to just think right now, is there somebody you can invite next week? Is there somebody that you know is struggling about their future? And with gloom and with darkness, is there somebody that you can invite? Because if they can come and hear the bright future that God has for them through Christ, their whole destiny could change. Their whole Christmas this year could change the rest of their life. And so I encourage you to think through uh, somebody you can invite. Let's pray together. God, we, we do praise your holy name. We thank you that you are almighty, but you're also kind and you're close at hand. God, we thank you that your kingdom is coming and it is here. We can see it at work and, and you want to change this world not through coercion or powering up, but you changed the world like we sang through this humble birth in a manger. Thank you for Christ and all he's done on our behalf to forgive us of our sin. And I pray if there's any just unconfessed sin here, just among us, that you'll convict us. You'll just show us if there's something that we need to just confess to you right now. And Lord, I pray for any broken relationships where there's bitterness or anger or any grudges that just need to be surrendered to you. And I pray for those that are just experiencing pain and sorrow and just dealing with the hurt that they've experienced. God, will you just heal them, help them to work through that, to continually ask you for help. And God, we, we do pray for our hearts that they'll not lead us astray, that we'll recognize the inclination, the desires, the things that we have that are gonna take us down the wrong path. Help us on the front end to see that, to admit it, to just shine your light on that, to bring you into what we face. And God, if we do sin, that we'll be humble and confess it. And finally, Lord, we just pray against the enemy and his schemes. Uh, he does want to come and steal and to destroy. But Lord, we know that you have overcome him. You have overcome the world. We have no fear of what man can do, what the enemy can do. And so we trust in your power and in your righteousness. So we thank you for this church the work that you want to do us, will you grow us as a church to continue to pray together and ask you for help with whatever that we face. It's in your son's precious name I pray, amen.